when I came into AA, I was not interested in helping people at all. When I heard people say that I'd have to help people, it made my skin crawl. I didn't want to do it. And I think going through the steps, they change us to the point where we start to realize, oh my God, like helping other people is like almost the only way that I can really help myself. If I try and focus on myself and I try to help myself, it seems like I do a horrible job and I make things worse, you know? Yeah. But if I if I turn to other people and I treat up try to be of service to other people, it's weird. Like all of a sudden I am helped in some way. It's crazy. I heard, I heard it through, through the grapevine. Welcome. It's the AA Grapevine Half Hour Variety Hour, featuring the collective voices of Alcoholics Anonymous. I'm Don, an alcoholic in Greensboro, North Carolina. Hey, Don. Hey, everybody. I'm Sam, an alcoholic in Palm Springs, California. Hiya, Sam. What's up, Don? How you doing? Oh, I'm doing good. I was traveling last week, and... I met someone who I can only describe as a walking wound, Ooh. like a, a walking raw nerve. I don't know. Just being around this person just took me back to when I first got sober and how I used to feel about mm -hmm. the world and everyone in it. And like someone could pay me a compliment and I would go, what do you mean by that? I mean, are they trying to get something over on me? Or, uh -huh. Well, I felt so bad about myself. I felt like I had needed to defend myself or I needed to exaggerate my accomplishments or I needed to brag about what my actual accomplishments are, you know, because I inside I felt bad and, and I didn't trust anybody and everyone's out to get me. And I could just see how I'm not living from that place anymore from working through all the steps, taking a look at the places I've harmed people in the past, correcting those things to the best of my ability, making amends for those things, and then being free to live one day at a time where I don't have to constantly live in a bubble of fear that someone's going to find out who I am. Yeah. It, add to that the experience that I have now living of trying not to cause problems in my life. But when I do, I have resources. I have a plan. I have a design that tells me, here's how to handle that. Yeah. It's like tools for living. Other people don't necessarily have that, but I'm so appreciative of it because I don't know what to do. What, what used to happen if I did something that I could see, I hurt someone's feelings, or I said something ugly to someone, then I would be extra nice. <laughs> I think that's a common thing with us of like, oh, I don't know how to handle this. So I'm just going to be extra nice to you I'll be right extra now. Nice. You'll know. Yeah. And then it'll sink down to the bottom and then it'll just go away. It'll dissolve. And little did I know that what actually happens in life, and that's what the steps addressed, was it doesn't go away. It sits there and festers. And by working through the steps, you dredge the lake and clear the water so that it's all crystal clear instead of an ugly swampy green color that was very visual <laughs> i'm a visual person you are a visual person no doubt i see what you're saying that's enough about you don sam who's our guest today that's enough about me oh thank god we have a guest 
Don, today's guest is John T. from the Bronx, New York. Sam, isn't it great that A just gives us this podcast for free? <laughs> Don, it doesn't work that way. What? While the Grapevine provides the podcast at no charge, we do have expenses. Grapevine is the only AA entity that does not accept contributions. Nothing from the basket, nothing from monthly and other contributions made to AA World Services. So to support the AA Grapevine podcast, please subscribe to the magazine or purchase books or other items at aagrapevine.org slash store. Thank you guys, really great. Uh, my name is John T. I am from the Bronx, New York. My sobriety date is January 1st of 2007. My home group is Carry This Message in Westchester County. It's a pleasure to be here, guys. Good to hear you. Good to meet you. John, we're so glad to have you. So what was going on with you that day when you decided to walk into an AA meeting? Well, you know, it's interesting because much like you, I have multiple decades of experience in AA. My, I first came to the rooms of AA in 1993. I was uh, clean and sober for uh, seven years and had a relapse. So when I came back in uh, January of 2007, it's interesting because I knew what the answer was in my life. I knew what was wrong with me. I learned it in the rooms of AA. I, I know I once I start, I can't stop. Once I stop, I can't stay stopped. And you put those two things aside. I'm restless, irritable, and discontent. I'm easily annoyed. I'm never satisfied. Things just bother me, you know, and I can't seem to clear it out like you were talking about dredging the lake, man. My problem goes so much further than just putting a drink to my lips. You know, that's like the, that's symbolic of the problem. You know, you take the you take the drink away and I'm just I'm still a mess. And so I knew all of that stuff. But what's interesting about this particular illness is it completely and totally defies logic and rationality, because even though I had all that information, I knew that in my gut, you know, when I made the decision, I'm going to come back to AA because I'm dying and I can't like I'd like to be dead, but I'm I'm, I'm afraid to actually do it to myself because I was well, I was raised Catholic and somewhere along the way, I, I learned that maybe God wasn't too happy with suicides. So I was afraid to actually do that. And at that point, I didn't particularly believe in God anymore. But hey, you know what? What if, you know, my luck turns out he actually does exist. Yeah. And I get to the other side. And then, you know, after a bad life and a bad end, I have, you know, that guy yelling at me, telling me, well, you know, it's going to be like 10,000 years in purgatory or eternity in a lake of fire. And that would be a big bummer. I, I didn't want to do that. <laughs> Not that you believe in that. Yeah, not that I believe in it, but I mean, I just love that that would be a big bummer. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like, imagine that. And I just so I wanted to hedge my bet. So I couldn't actually get myself to actually kill myself. But I'm putting myself in harm's way. I'm like, I'm slow motion killing myself, you know, and I'm mm -hmm. hoping for an act of God. And eventually the light bulb went on for me. A day came when I had the realization that what if the death doesn't show up? If if I could be dead by like next Wednesday, that'd be great. But I can't guarantee that. And I keep waking up. And what if this goes on for another year? What if, what if it goes on for another five years or another 10 years? And that thought in particular, the idea that who knows how long this suffering is going to go on for. Like I started searching for some sort of solution. What do I do? You know, I'm frantic this. 
the obvious answer for someone like me who had been in AA before, the reality is the only time in my life where I ever felt comfortable in my own skin, my life seemed to make sense. It seemed like I had purpose and meaning was when I was sober in AA, for sure, without a doubt, the best years of my life. And so it was an obvious answer. Go back to the rooms of AA. The solution to my problem is, is spiritual in nature. And the place to to find out like how to get reengaged is in the rooms. Well, John. Yeah. So that's the obvious answer, but it didn't come to you. You were drinking again. So what was the place that wasn't working for you? What got me out in the first place? Yeah. What was not working in AA? What were you not addressing? I happened to be a person who was very, very lucky. When I first came into AA the first time back in 93, I came into an unbelievably good AA group. I mean, strong sobriety. They were militant about steps, uh, spirituality. You know, they talked unashamedly about God. I know that doesn't work for everybody. And there were some really tough as nails old timers back then who didn't care about how I felt. And so I was given like a very, you know, very severe uh, experience of AA. And for me, that worked really well. As far as I was concerned, that was the best group in AA. Five years later, my life was working unbelievably well. I was, I went back to school. I had a daughter and I decided to move. So I was closer to school and my daughter. And when I made that move, I needed to get a new home group. And when you are a member of the greatest group in AA, that's great until you have to move. (laughs) Yeah, nothing's going to compare. Right. And I go group shopping. Well, every group I come in contact with, they just don't seem to match up to the original group. You try and tell people that you go to a group and say, well, you know, you're not doing this right. And maybe you should do this. And, you know, they start, they're like, <laughs> so, oh, so you weren't know. able to fix them. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> so eventually I did uh, settle on a group and there was nothing wrong with that group. It just wasn't the original group then. And uh, I'm a young guy in AA and I feel like I've got the world by the you know what. I went back to school. I have a career. Uh, I pay my bills. I go to work every day on time, which is a big deal for a guy like me because I'm a no show, no call. I like as far as I'm concerned, I'm killing it. And I totally forgot that the reason why my life is going so well is because I've established a, a relationship with a power greater than myself through the, these, the practice of the 12 steps and, you know, and, and being a part of a sober community. And being a person who's willing to be of service to others. I forgot about all that stuff because it became about me, about look how great I'm doing and look at what I did with my life. And so as time is going by now, uh, I got a new sponsor, but I don't really need him as much as I did a a sponsor in the beginning because I know everything. You know, like when you know everything, why do you need to talk to a sponsor? Like I know what he's going to say. I'm going to call him. You know what? Let me cut out the middleman. I know what he's going to say. Don't have to call him. Yes. Uh Oh, right. And then when that starts happening, the next thing that starts to go is your attitude and your behavior. And I'm cutting corners and I'm and and I'm living a little bit shady and and things that used to be unacceptable are now becoming acceptable. And word starts to get around and, you know, people talk. And all of a sudden I have this feeling like people are talking about me behind my back in the meetings that I go to. And you know what? Screw you. You know, how dare you judge me? And so now now there's this barrier that's being built between me and my sober community to the point where eventually I, you know what? I don't think I want to go to meetings anymore. Yeah. Then you're a walking nerve. <laughs> right. Well, yeah. I'm a walking nerve and I'm, and I'm walking step by step away from the thing mm-hmm. that's 
And the and the scariest part about that is I don't even realize it when it's happening. Yeah. And I've heard stories like that, I don't know, hundreds of times, thousands of times in my time in AA. And yet when it's happening to me, I don't even recognize it. That's see the it. Yeah. scary part about it. So so when you say when you ask me the question, well, what happened? Like why did why would you relapse? Because I really did have an unbelievable transformation in AA. By the time I picked up that drink, right, before I got there, the stage is set for the insane idea to come back. Was here's the idea. It goes like this. It goes, uh, and I hear this voice in my head, and it sounds a lot like me. So I don't know about you, but uh, there's people in the world I agree. I look up to a lot. I really admire them. And if I agree with them 60% of the time, that's a lot. But when it comes to me, I agree with myself like 100% of the time, you know? I hear myself saying something, I tend to agree with it. So I hear this in my head, in my voice, and it sounds very rational and logical. And what I heard was, you know, when you were drinking, yeah, you were out of control and it was bad and things and bad things happened. But you were really young when all that stuff happened. Mm. Seven years later. Right. And look at all the things you've done with your life. You can go to work. I listed all the things. And that voice said, maybe you can drink like a mature person. I mean, there's lots of people who drink recklessly and uncontrollably who are young. You can see that in any town in America, in a college town, it happens every day. That doesn't make those people alcoholic. And the voice said to me, maybe you're not really an alcoholic. Through that thing called being young. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Sitting there by myself, I don't have a sponsor. I'm no longer speaking to my sponsors. I don't have him to run that by or anybody in my sober support community. None of them are there. It's just me with me talking like this stuff. And I'm sitting there going, yeah, you know what? That's a good idea. You're right. And so that's where it starts, This the germination of the seed. And the craziest thing is when the day finally came, when I picked up that first drink, I knew within an hour, I was like, oh, yeah, no, that's right. I am an alcoholic. I have that thing. Once I start, I can't stop. Something happens to me where I have one and one becomes two, becomes three, becomes five, becomes 10. And that's just not for one day. That just goes on and on and on like that. That went on for how many years? So I came in 93 uh, and I was sober for seven years. And then my sobriety date now is January 1st of 2007. So between, I would say 2000, 2001 and 2007, uh, there were some back and forth of trying to get sober. You know, there were some periods of sobriety in there, but it was mostly a lot of just going further and further down the spiral. You okay. Know? In those periods of sobriety, did you come back to AA or did you just try to quit yeah. on your own? No, I I had no ability to quit on my own. <laughs> I've okay. never had the ability to quit on my own. So yeah, I would come back to AA, but I, I was the classic guy who's relapsed and they come back to AA and just angry. You know what I mean? Like, I'm just waiting for somebody to say something stupid to me. Again, I'm the guy. I think I know everything. So if I come in here and you start trying to tell me about, well, what I didn't do right, I did it all, pal. You know what I mean? Mm, I know okay. the, I know the traditions. I know the concepts. So why don't you tell me what I don't know now, pal? You know, like that was how I come off. Yeah. I hear you. So, <laughs> so what changed? It, it was 2006. When I came to that conclusion that I had to go back to AA and that, but the reason I say that, you know, my alcoholism completely defies rationality, all of those things were true. And yet, because the voice said to me, it goes, yeah, 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 you're right. We're going to go back to AA for sure. We have to do that. But hear me out, right? This is what the voice says. My friend Joe had been traveling around the world for the last year and a half, and he was coming back to New York in December. 
And gosh, Joe was going to be so disappointed if when he came back, I was not drinking anymore. Because Joe, for me, represented like what Ebby represented to Bill in the big book in the sense that we can drink and we could relive the good old days. You know, we could talk about all the times when it worked and it was fun because, you know, we used to go to clubs. We went on trips. We did all this crazy stuff that was fun. I mean, a lot of lunacy, but it was fun. And I wanted at least somehow recapture the glory of the good old days. And Joe represented that for me. But, you know, Joe's coming back. So why not do this? Go back to AA. And here's what we'll do. We'll go back on January 1st, 2007. Why? Because that's a perfect sobriety date. Why? It's the first day of a new year. It's a clean slate. And I'm numerically, it's beautiful. Yeah, it makes so much sense. And I'm sitting there and I go, this is a genius idea. I'm dying of alcoholism and addiction. I'm dying. But this is the plan that I come with, uh, come and, up but with. But you said you were suicidal. Well, yeah, I was suicidal. I, was su- I wanted to die. I wasn't going to do it to myself. But yeah, that's uh, how I, I came to the realization there are worse fates than death, right? When you realize yes. death isn't the worst thing that can happen to me. We can live through a lot of misery. Yeah. Yeah. So, John, what is the difference between your first year of sobriety in 1993 mm-hmm. and your first year of sobriety in 2007. Oh my God, they were so different. My first year of sobriety in 1993, you know how they say you're on a pink cloud? It was a pink cloud. And I don't mean to diminish, like make someone feel bad because they're feeling good. My first two meetings, I came to AA and hated AA. I wanted nothing to do with it. I go to my third meeting and I hate AA and I leave that meeting and I'm in love with AA. I had a spiritual experience in that meeting. Something changed and I had the realization I knew if I keep coming to this place, I'm going to be okay. My first year in 2007 was horrendous. Uh, It wasn't the whole year, but the majority of that first year, the compulsion to pick up and relapse was almost daily. I mean, and I was miserable. Mm. And the only thing that I had going for me at that point, I knew that it was possible to feel good and comfortable in your own skin without picking up a drink in AA because I had this experience in the past. So that that's the only thing that I had over anybody who was new, new. But the voice in my head was saying to me, maybe you did so much damage to yourself, you're never going to get there again. Maybe the best is fighting the thought to drink every day. Maybe this is what your life is going to be. And I remember thinking like, if that's true, they might as well take me out in the back and put two in the back of my head because I I do not want to fight this for the rest of my life. And I was scared. I was really scared that that was like I damaged myself so much that that's what it was going to be. How long did that last? Is that a year of that? No. And I can't tell you if it was month nine, 10 or 11, but it was like somewhere in that area. OK. And I was at a meeting and I hear this guy at the front of the meeting and he goes, you know, Sometimes I'm happy for like no reason whatsoever. And it's weird because it's not even like I have a good life or anything. And I remember going like this, I went, ah, like that, because I identified with him. Because all of a sudden I realized, yeah, sometimes I'm happy for no reason. And that struck me because I'd been miserable for like every day. And now I'm going, well, when did that start happening? And then the next thing he says is, you know, the other thing is, I can't tell you the last time I thought about picking up a drink. And I went, oh, that, I identified with him. Because I couldn't remember the last time I thought about picking up a drink either. And I was thinking about that every single day. So somewhere between those first months and somewhere in 9, 10, or 11, something changed. And I didn't notice when it changed. Yeah. So are you saying that somewhere inside of you, the desire to drink had been removed, 
but you yeah. were still emotionally holding on to this desperation that you didn't need to hold on to. And this guy opened up that. He, well, no, he helped me to recognize. I didn't even realize that this had happened. You know what I mean? Uh, like, I didn't realize that I was starting to feel better. That flipped on the switch of awareness. Yeah. What would you say to someone who is either newly back from a long relapse or is still out and thinking about coming back? What would you tell them about getting sober again? Um... A lot of the people that I am attracted to in recovery, we use this thing called the set-aside prayer. I don't think it's so popular that everyone in AA knows this prayer, but the set-aside prayer is basically taken from we agnostics in the sense that set aside everything you think you know, right? The set-aside prayer has always been important to me because I am one of those guys that I don't even realize it. I just naturally assume I know things that I don't know. And I don't think I'm unique in, in that regard. And the set aside prayer is please set aside everything I think I know so I can have an open mind and a new experience and then fill in the blank with AA, with the steps, with you, God, with my relationships. And I would really suggest putting aside everything you think you know. I know you've had an experience with AA in the past, and you may be sitting here thinking that it doesn't work because you did everything, but maybe consider you didn't do everything. Maybe consider that you're wrong about that. Maybe consider that there's a new experience for to be had in AA by you. The other thing I would say, is I had all those fears that maybe it's not going to work this time. Maybe I'm wasting my time. Maybe it's just like I'm setting myself up for another disappointment. And I'm happy to report that I did the work to the best of my ability. I've never, I've never tried to uh, paint myself as the person who did all the steps perfectly. So the first time for me has never been as good as like the last time, because as I grow, I become more honest and I see different things and I see more. But, you know, the first time I did it to the best of my ability, as sincerely as possible. And lo and behold, it worked. Holy like, oh, my God, it worked again. Like, wow, it's like that trick. You go, it, it worked again. And so that's been my experience is that you got you got to let go of what you think, you know, and you almost have to have like a childlike faith and like, all right, I'm, I'm going to try this thing again. So, John, how do you guard against yourself in AA that you don't start fooling yourself, that you don't need to do it again? What are the things that you do today to stay sober? I just have to give a, like a preface on this, right? Because New Year's Eve of 2006 had to come before January 1st. And what happened for me was the best thing that could happen to a guy like me. And that was I nearly died on, on New Year's Eve. And, and so I was being resuscitated. And I'm going in my head, but I was going to go get sober on January 1st. And here it is New Year's Eve. And like, I almost didn't make it to January 1st. And it struck me how many people probably die the same way I just almost died. Mm. I'm going to do it tomorrow. I'll do it tomorrow. It'll be tomorrow. And I don't, and I have no idea that I, I'm not going to be here tomorrow. I have no idea, but I think I will be. Yeah. And so, and, and I told you already 2006, by that point, I wanted to be dead. And there was this revulsion in me, like, oh, my God, I don't want to die like this. Like, I like I was proud of nothing in my life at that point. I was ash deeply ashamed of who I'd become. And that's how I want to die. That's the that's how I want to. That's the legacy I want to leave in this world for my daughter and for my family and for the people that knew me. 
this thing rose up inside of me where I said in a very honest and sincere prayer to a God that I didn't necessarily believe in at that time, but I was desperate that he existed. And I said, if you can, if you can do this for me this time, I will never take this for granted again. I will never take it for granted again. And that was like, there was something about that moment in my life. It was the one of the worst experiences of my life. I'd never want to go back to it. If you asked me about it back then, I would tell you that was the worst moment of my life. If you ask me about it now, I say it's probably the best things that ever happened to me. Mm. Felt horrible, but it was fantastic. And so I think there was like something happened for me there where I have a deep commitment to like adhering to the principles of this program, like specifically the idea that there's more to life than what I can see and what I know, that there is a higher power that's completely and totally beyond my comprehension, but is there nonetheless. And my job in life on a daily basis is to try and tap into that power. And I just watch what happens. And, and my life today is completely and totally unrecognizable from what it was 16, 17 years ago, just completely different. John, is there anything that you haven't shared with us that you would like to share? <laughs> I mean, there's a million, there's a million things. <laughs> the importance of the steps, like uh, uh, really taking those steps seriously and doing them to the best of your ability. You really can't predict where they're going to take you and what they're going to do with your life. There's been certain steps that they were like quantum leaps that happened in my sobriety when I really took them seriously. Steps eight and nine, for sure. When I took amends seriously, specifically uh, making financial amends to people, institutions, you know, <laughs> stores. And I didn't want to do that, but I did it in good faith. And doors opened up for me. Opportunities showed up that didn't make any sense at all. And I'm and how does that work? How does making amends end up opening up doors of opportunity? This is going to sound weird, right? But this was my experience. Let's say there's someone, I owe them X amount of dollars. I don't want to pay them because, you know, I, I'm not particularly making a lot of money at that point, but I know I have to. And so I go, I'm going to do it. And I call them up and I make an appointment and I go meet them. And I say, listen, I'd like to make amends and uh, maybe it's a payment plan and this is what I want to do and blah, blah, blah. And then I, I pay the money or I start paying the money. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden, like maybe a day or two or a week or a couple of weeks later, someone calls me up and they go, hey, I got this a side job or something. Are you interested? And it's weird because the money that I'm going to make on this little side thing either is equal to or a little bit more than what I just paid out. And that happens one time and then it happens five times and then it happens maybe 10 times. And you're like, is this a coincidence that I keep things going on? <laughs> yeah, it's weird. And, I, and then I start thinking, Maybe I can make like a business out of this. You know what I mean? <laughs> like that's how that's your the mind goes there. <laughs> the amends entrepreneur. <laughs> how can I steal money so that I can pay it back and make money doing right. it? <laughs> <laughs> right? It's the craziest thing, but you can't do that. So, but what happened was one of the opportunities was to do something which totally changed the course of my life. It changed it. It, it literally the career I had when I came into sobriety and my career today are completely different. Yep. And I, and I love what I do. I'm like, I'm super pumped and excited about what I do every single day. For me, I totally look at, at my life as connected to my willingness 
to make amends, specifically financial amends, changed my life. John, thank you. John, thanks. Thank you. You can give a gift subscription of Grapevine or Lavinia. Grapevine has a long waiting list of incarcerated members who want one. Get your group, district, area, or AA friends to join in. It's easy. Go to aagrapevine.org and look for Carry the Message at the top of the site. I'm at the very wit's end. Hi, my name is Woody R. I'm from Stockton, California, and I have a joke. At a recent AA meeting, a little girl of one of the members approached me and introduced herself by saying, Hi, my name is Kathy, and I'm five years old. To which I responded, That's nice. If you were in AA, you'd say I'm almost six. Thanks for the really bad joke, Woody. <laughs> 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 it's really not that funny. Thanks for joining us. The AA Grapevine Half Hour Variety Hour is posted every Monday and is produced by AA Grapevine, Inc. We don't speak for AA as a whole. We share the experience, strength, and hope of members to help others recover from alcoholism. Podcast info, including how to call in, is at aagrapevine.org slash podcast. Find AA Grapevine on Instagram and the AA Grapevine channel on YouTube. All things Grapevine are available at aagrapevine.org. If you want to know more about AA, Google Alcoholics Anonymous and your city or visit aa.org. <laughs>